Olivia. Hey, Jesse. You got your hair cut today. I did. I got all of my hair chopped off today. It is like a whopping 95 degrees out today. It's so hot today. I've just been super hot and I'm barely seeing anybody. Uh, <laughs> well, if I am seeing people, it's on Zoom. And right. really, I just wake up and toss all of my super long curly hair into a bun. And I think my threshold for haircuts is when I notice that I've put it in a bun for like a week straight. Like if I don't even wear it down. Why, why do, why do I you even have, have long yeah. curly hair? Well, so, I really like it. Thank um, you. It's very springy and cute. Yeah. And, and not Karen. A Karen yeah. would be like those mom bobs. Yes. I asked Jesse before recording if my hair was too Karen-ish because I got it cut really, really short. Um, follow my personal Instagram, I guess, uh, to see photos of it. But yeah, I don't want to be Karen. Nobody you wants kind to. Of you look sh- like don't a, be Karen, um, everybody. You kind of remind me of, I mean, I could have this wrong because I think her hair is longer, but... um. The Miss Frizzle. Does oh she, yeah, does she have like yeah, kind yeah. Of a short. No, like she a does. Yeah, it's it's similar to that. Yes, but it's above. Yeah, it's very yeah, cute. It's uh, like back it. to my Slack profile picture, which is what I showed to the hairstylist. And so this is how I loved it before. So can you please? Um, it's perfect. Take for it summer. back to this. Yeah, it's real hot here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, real hot, and it so is hot. bright and sunny, which is great for some people. I know Jesse and I both prefer the rain. I do, and I have to tell you. Like we had a really mild spring. It was delightful. If we had to be Mm -hmm. quarantined, it was at least really nice to go outside and go on Mm -hmm. walks and hang out in the front yard. And Mm -hmm. then June hit and it got pretty hot. And disgusting. even still, though, we could go on walks maybe later in the evening. Literally um, last night, we tried to go for a walk at 8 p.m. And it was so unpleasant to be outside. The humidity. It was there was no wind and it was so humid. It was like you stood still you just sweat. Yeah. Yeah. And we were in the shade. Like it was post, you know, the sun had gone behind the trees, but mm-hmm. it was still so unpleasant. Yeah. So I went I, for a run. If you can believe that I was just like, oh, I just want to end my week, my work week with a run. And last was, night or today? Last night. And I was drenched. I mm-hmm. mean, just drenched in sweat. It's so humid here. Yeah, um, this is actually a really interesting segue into tell our, me about it. our podcast. So today we are doing the origins of glass it and is. the origins of mirrors. Um, mirrors I'm really excited to hear about because that's definitely one of those things that I look into a mirror and I'm like, I couldn't do that. I don't know how to make one. I don't know when we mm-hmm. first had them. Um, but the reason why I bring it up is because to make glass, things have to be really, really hot, like mm. really, really, really hot. So I, that's why I felt like it was a really good segue. Uh, so first, I want to start off with pop culture. When you think of glass creation, what do you think of? Like, what what scene of a popular movie comes into your head? Scene from a <laughs> about Southern Glass, Southern movie. Glass, a beach, lightning, Reese Witherspoon, Sweet Home Alabama, really? <laughs> I mean, I saw it. A Have really you long seen time it? Ago. Oh my gosh. Everyone, they made glass please. in that movie? Okay. Well, for people who are up on their uh, Reese Witherspoon <laughs> pop culture, there's a movie called Sweet Home Alabama. It's a rom-com. I know that movie. I just, I don't remember that from the movie. Well, the whole, like, it's it's a huge, not a huge premise, but it's a, it's kind of a part of the movie where they're kids and they're on a beach and lightning strikes. Mm. And then when they go on the beach and then when they go back and look at the spot, there's glass there. There's like a little piece of glass in the sand from, from the lightning. lightning. Yeah, from the lightning strike. And it becomes a plot point of the movie. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, they kind of, they go <laughs> back and forth. Yeah, hasn't seen this 25-year-old movie. Um, but later in life, they reconnect. Reese Witherspoon goes to New York and becomes like a snappy, 
New York stereotype, basically the like suit, the, the she pencil skirt, her yeah. Southern accent. Leaves, yep. All of that. And so she has to come back to divorce her ex that she quickly married in Alabama, who is a Matthew McConaughey lookalike. He's not Matthew McConaughey, but I don't think what? I know his actual. Yeah, it's definitely I not Matthew McConaughey. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I, I pretty much thought it was the two of them in that mm-hmm. movie. No, it's somebody else. Uh, it's this random dude. And huh. Basically, at the end of the movie, you find out that based on that moment, he's been making glass by sticking rods into the sand. And then he makes this like sweet southern glass. Blah, blah, blah. It's like oh. the point of the movie. OK, well, I'm sorry, everyone. It's totally false. That's not how you make glass. So that's why I bring it up is because that's kind of a common misconception that everyone's like, oh, you just put lightning rods on the sand and it makes glass. Not correct. That would have been a cool accident, though. Like if potentially if mm-hmm. people, if humans discovered that well, you could do it that you way, kind of like can. If it happened it, enough. It does make you know a type fluke. of glass. Yeah, yeah, it makes a type of glass. So lightning and sand does get hot enough to make glass, but it doesn't. It's not the type that you could turn into like a drinking glass, for example. It just it's like a sculpture almost. You can't do anything with More it. Like it's too ceramic? fragile. Uh, imagine or, like an like a modern art sculpture that you you have to look at it and be like, what is it? Let's just a bunch of squiggly lines. Oh, I see. So it just sort of makes a shape, and you don't yep. get any say in like what yep. the shape is or yeah. whether it has use. Yeah, that's okay. pretty much that. So that's kind of debunked. Um, I read a lot of articles debunking that moment where they're like, he could not start a glass. Co- it might have inspired him to start a glass company, <laughs> but he's not making those drinking glasses and like the nice glass out of the lightning <laughs> that he's. He, finds in the um the beach so that is not accurate i will say that i think the only thing i do know about glass is that it comes from sand Hmm. okay yeah but it it, it does okay yes okay so i think to go to explain where glass came from you do have to understand how it's made because otherwise you won't be able to make that connection and again this is one of those hilarious things where it's like if the apocalypse happens I, <laughs> we would not know how to make glass. Glass took <laughs> thousands of years for people to understand how to fully um, do it. And so there's artisans and then there's a lot of techniques and knowledge involved in creating the glassware we have today. So if you guys mm. like drinking glasses and drinking out of or like nice salad bowls or something like just know that that's thousands of years of history uh, in your kitchen. But the way glass is made is sand, which, yes, it is sand, which sand is a type of silicon dioxide. So it's all these chemical compounds. So basically making glass is very chemical. Mm. So it's not just sand, though. You can also make glass out of any sort of silicon dioxide um, material. So like a limestone or any sort of that kind of thing. Because if you think about sand, don't forget that sand isn't sand like sand is actually just a bunch of little tiny minerals yeah sediments minerals chemicals like Mm. if you looked at it under a microscope you'd actually also see a lot of little critters and things so sand is just a word that kind of collectively means a bunch of stuff i guess it would also contain i mean i think if we think of sand it's like we're dust right yeah it's like it's it's going to be there's going to be um carbon materials that used to be animals right yeah oh and here's a moment for you guys who don't know what dust is (laughs) dust is your skin yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) i'm really sorry to burst anyone's bubble that did not know that that just thinks that dust is like i don't know but dust is like your skin um what's it called i don't know pieces of your skin falling off 
That sounds grosser um, than it really yeah, is. Yeah, it's sort of like you're molting. Right. <laughs> um, you, you just made that sound even grosser. Um, oh, you no. know, it, like dead skin cells, right? Like your dead. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Dead skin cells mm-hmm. fall off. It's, you and it it's, it's how they try to get you to buy a mattress every eight years, right? Because Ugh. it's will have will have doubled in size yeah. from all of your dead skin cells. And honestly, my mattress that I grew up on, <laughs> I still have it in the guest room, and it is very heavy. It's disgusting, but it's fine. It's fine. Okay, so that's sand. That is sand. So let's talk about Pliny the Elder. We have to bring him into this because, of course. I was wondering, did we talk about him in our we did. first episode? We okay, absolutely so did he's because he just, he's background again. Oh, yeah. I, I really want to get a biography on him because he like uh, he did so much research and wrote so many things. Well, he down. was and he was the, the, the person who did it where it lasted. Right. Yes. That's what I've been pondering Pliny because it's like, okay, obviously this might not be the first mm-hmm. recording, but it's the first recording that we still have or that we have access yeah. to or that was written in a way that we could access. Yeah. And I would also say he just wrote like the first almost like encyclopedia. Natural history of, works. yeah, just like it's what all we, together. What, so, yeah. It makes sense to be like, what did he say about this? Like, <laughs> what did he say about this? So he had things to say about glass. Um, And also it's important to know that Pliny was not always correct. So Pliny attributed (laughs) the origin of glassmaking to Phoenician sailors. He recounts a grand tale about how they landed on a beach and they lit a campfire. And to their surprise, when they removed the campfire, what lay on what lie lay, what was underneath (laughs) was glass. Now this is hysterical because that's impossible. Uh, so I'm not really sure why he wrote that in his records. It's not true. A campfire cannot get hot enough to melt sand into glass. Let me give you some, let me drop some numbers here. Um, so to get glass, you have to melt the compound that is sand at 3,090 degrees Fahrenheit. 3,000. Yeah, that's not a campfire. That's Campfire's very hot. Oh, I, I looked that up because look, okay. I'm getting better in my research. Okay campfires get to about 9.30. Okay. So we're not even at a third, barely a third hot enough to melt sand into glass. So, so unless there was something else happening on this beach yes. that was, you know, geologic, yep. then... Okay. Most likely, the Phoenician, um, the Phoenician people were already working in glass. So he probably attributed the glass kind of by association, not really by occurrence. So at I this see. point in history... Uh, they were already making glass. They already knew how to do it. Um, so the very, 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 very first type of glass is actually volcanic glass because volcanoes can be really hot, really hot. So if you've ever seen like National Geographic or people that like explore volcanoes, I cannot even stress to you how hot that actually is. Don't do it. Very dangerous. <laughs> Don't go toward. I'll also a reminder that Pliny died that way. In Pompeii. With he the did. Vol- yes. I don't mm-hmm. think I remember that he yeah. died in Pompeii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was like, let me just go check out what's going on mm, over uh, here. And then move. he died. So just yep. be really careful with the elements out there because, yeah, because I just said that to melt to melt sand into glass is 3,090 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm sweating in 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. So just a note there. So naturally occurring glass has been around forever, close to volcanoes. So people did know how to collect the glass. However, they weren't really able to work with it yet. So they would have it, they would make it into jewelry, but they didn't have the tools necessary to turn that into what we know as like drinking glasses and actually using glass to this day and then um something that's really interesting that i'm going to get into is just imagine like sheet glass like our windows and things Mm because that was like a bolt of lightning to me because i mean just looking out our window and like seeing how much light is in the room 
people did not have that. Mm-mm. Like, imagine being one of these people in, like, like before, you know, like, BC times. They did not have windows. Well, and even if you could make glass, well, one, they could have a window, but it wasn't going to have a anything in it. It was just mm-hmm. going to be an open window, mm-hmm. right? You might put, be able to put a shutter over it, but you wouldn't have clarity. I mean, mm-hmm. you could, you could, even if you could make rudimentary sheet glass, I imagine that getting the clarity yes. out of it yes. took a really long time. Yay, you're guessing correctly. That's I mean, your I, history it's, it overlaps a little over bit with mirrors. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I was about to say, how did you know? Did you get my <laughs> hold of my notes? Uh, so the real history of glass, actually, um, the, the, the time that we were actually able to start molding it dates back to 2,500 BC. So okay. BC, pretty impressive still. So about 4,500 years yeah, ago. Yeah. So mm-hmm. probably in Mesopotamia. And they still didn't have the tools to do it in a large, large scale. I mean, they knew how to heat a kiln. They knew how to get it up to that heat. But essentially what they did was they would melt it and then they would glaze it over stone. So mm. jewelry, essentially, as all mm, pretty things okay. are in our history. If you think back again, and I think this was a recurring theme of our previous podcast, but all of a previous season, all of the things in the world just have to do with class and making pretty things and selling and making sales. So glass at this point didn't serve a utilitarian purpose. They mm. just did it for decor. So it was beads. It was for the rich. And also probably because what they could produce was very small amounts. Yes. So it's not like you'd have a large... There's no value in having a large sheet of glass, but yep. having a small bead that could be yeah. valuable is valuable. They're like, become an heirloom. Yeah, what is this? Is a prize possession. So that went on for a really long time. They just had general basic light glass. Um, there actually is a Mesopotamian clay tablet that has cuneiform script on it that actually has like the instructions on how to make glass. So that's really cool. Oh, cool. So, and that was um, 3,300 years ago. So. We do have a record of when they were making glass. And that was still the Phoenicians, or have we? That was around Mesopotamia. Oh, you said found the the the, uh, clay tablet. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny because I'm reading this off of my non-clay tablet (laughs) right now. I have an apple tablet, (laughs) a little different. Um, And then something big happened around the fourth century BC, which was you're nodding. Do you know? Mm -mm. It's not really that big, but uh, Alexander the Great started spreading trade and skill and once he started colonizing everything people were then starting to share these concepts and share skills and share ideas so you have to imagine like imagine like a family it's like maybe your family has a recipe that you've been handing down from generation to generation while nobody else is going to know that recipe unless you share it i mean they'll eventually start to understand it but or they might have access to similar ingredients but they're doing it in a different way right Mm -hmm. exactly And, and the ingredients in this case are the sand it's the sand it's the materials to make glass so imagine that you're not near an ocean you're not near a volcano you're not near a space where it makes sense where you're able to make these things so as soon as he started colonizing things, that's when it really started to spread across all of the continents and everybody was like, oh, okay. And at this time, was it still decorative glass or did it start to, like, when does the function come in? Um, it's still very decorative. Okay. Um, I will get to the point where it's not, but at the at the moment, it definitely still is. And I'm going to get to drinking glasses as well because they are way more recent than you would think. Hmm. Um, so a side note that once it got to Rome and uh, Egypt, they were starting to mix uh, sand with ground seashells, which essentially is also sand as mm-hmm. well. Um, and they would use limestone and then hardwood ash. So they were starting to understand chemistry because a lot of this is just chemistry. It's mm-hmm. learning what compounds all fit together to make a thing and then, then heat. So chemistry plus heat equals science, I guess, and, and, and really cool things. 
Um, okay, so the big thing that happened for us to be able to uh, take this beyond, I don't know if you watched, there's a show on Netflix. It's called, I don't know what it's called, actually. Is it that competition about glass yeah, blowing? Yeah, there's like a glass blowing competition mm-hmm. show on Netflix, and that was kind of my first foray into understanding how glass is made. So to stretch glass, because it's so hot, uh, they finally, at the beginning of the Christian era, the the Phoenicians and everybody started to learn how to blow glass mm. because you have to blow it to be able to shape it. So the first, it's like a long tube. So watch that show on Netflix. It's actually really fascinating. Or if you've ever even seen anyone just blow glass yeah. at like a carnival or something Yeah, like and if that. you haven't, look it up because it's fascinating. It's like a super long tube connected to, you get like a blob of the glass and you stick it on the end of and the it's tube. it's super hot. Mm-hmm, mm. And then you blow into it. And that oxygen and that gentle force is what starts to shape and blow the glass. It always looks really frustrating to me. Yeah, I'm I always just like, and then, you know, I'm devastated for them when it, it falls. Do not have the patience. Yeah. So a blob of molten glass was collected on the knob end, rolled into a suitable shape on a flat surface. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, so once that was invented, boom, now we can shape glass. The thing about that is, though, that was still too small. You can't make a window out of blown out glass. Out of blown glass. No. And it's also going to have a shape. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, a shape, but they could make really small pieces. So at this time, mm. now we're in the uh, early 12th century. Fast forward. Oh, you could have paint glass. Yes. Stained yes. glass. That's, that's exactly what I just because about to what say. Because what do you do? You need Look to put this. it together. Look at us. Yeah. Look at us. Yes. That makes sense. Introduction of stained glass windows. So once they were able to blow, they were able to understand they had more tools, more technology. And so stained glass windows first used in Eastern Roman Empire in the there early 12th century. It's Look the same this. concept, by the way, of a quilt because... If you think about having... Bring it back. No, I just need to make the analogy, though, because if you think about having... It's actually much rarer and harder to find, like, an uncut swath of mm, fabric. Uh-huh. It's a lot harder to obtain. You have to... You know, it's woven if it's... Yeah. So, so so the idea of patchwork is much easier because you can put small things together to make a whole. Exactly, yeah. The same concept. Same concept. Mm-hmm. They were putting a bunch of small things together. But what did they use for color, you might be asking me? Ooh, this right. was fascinating to me because i know from your instagram and your talkings about color is that in dyes and garments oftentimes you'll use botanicals herbs mm-hmm. uh, it's the oldest stuff we have for yeah, dyeing. yeah they for did colors. not do that for glass you can't just mix glass with like blueberries you can't do that so that's true would you like to take a stab at what you think they use to produce pigments for glass so I'm only just thinking that because they're already so inculcated with chemistry, maybe they are using pigments of something. I mean, that, that still strikes me as natural. So I don't know. Kind of. So they were actually using chemicals and the, the okay. oxidization, oxid, oxid, ox, they would oxidize metals. There you go. Oh, metals. Copper. Which you can use in dyeing, by the way, if you oh, okay. add like Very any, cool. any kind of... Uh, alum or um, metallic to yes. your dye pod. It will come out a different color. So that's color. what mm-hmm. they did. I thought this was so fascinating because can you imagine? People are so smart though. Yeah, like the 12th century <laughs> yes. people were like, you know what? I noticed that copper, if you leave color. it out a bunch, mm-hmm. turns green. And then they just like harvested that and then mixed it with glass. And you get green. Yeah, It's insane. So when you're looking, when you go travel and you look at an old church and you see stained glass windows, just know that that glass is probably a mixture of like copper and like it's just... It's fantastic. So I actually have a list. Um, copper made green and then also a ruby red glass. 
Is it, I guess, at some From point. From copper as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, iron would give you black, brown, green. Mm-hmm. Uh, something called manganese. It's a chemical element okay. that they must have had. Again, that I've apocalypse heard of that, happens. Yeah. That knowledge is going to be lost. Like, who knows what that is? Someone knows about manganese. There's got to be mean, a chemist. People who work in, like, uh, dye products. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that one was going to be purple. Cool. And then opaque white glass was made using tin. Apparently, hmm. tin oxidizes that way. And there's a really famous uh, vase that I'll put up that was created in 1 AD in Rome that used some of these early pigments. It's like a dark black glass, but it has white glass over it. It's really fascinating. Cool. So, yeah, at this point, they were understanding how to mix pigments and make small stained glass items. Um, also, just a note that in the um, around this time, they started to understand that like limestone could make glass. Also, you don't have to just go on the beach and get like a cup of sand. You can grind down limestone. Mm-hmm. And then soda ash apparently is like another kind of compound that mixes well with it. So super interesting. Okay. You can also use soda ash in natural mm. dyeing too. Oh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Look at all of this. There's so much chemistry. Glass. It's actually what makes it a little intimidating to me because I'm like, oh my God, there's, there's, <laughs> there's so much so to many know. options. I, ooh, it's overwhelming. Uh, so even at this point, like this is fascinating. This this just spanned thousands of years mm-hmm. just, just to get to small pieces of stained glass. Mm-hmm. Like we're not even drinking out of it yet. Like I cannot even tell you that like you go sit down in a restaurant and it just boggles my mind, like how much stuff we take for granted, or we don't understand how we got there. Like, well, that's why we started this podcast. I know right? it, it just, was like <laughs> with these things that we're taking for granted. Oh, my brain, yeah. just like you, you get handed a glass of beer, and we you know we covered beer in season one, and we covered restaurants mm-hmm, in season and one, mm-hmm. and now we're covering glass, and like we're we're getting to the point where I can sit down in a restaurant and I can nerd out and talk about every <laughs> single piece of origin. We should do straws. That'd be really fascinating. Ooh, um, that would be good. Yeah. Okay. So I just got really excited about that moment. It's like, oh, such a thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. But how do we get to flat sheets of glass? So the Romans, thank you very much. Romans, um, they wanted to make windows. So they wanted, uh, it started with bathhouses. And if you don't mm-hmm. know what a bathhouse is, it's a, not a very American thing. It's a very foreign thing. But um, back in the day, no one would have like a bathroom in their, or a bathtub in their house. So you used to, and well, I think plumbing's this is not, even, plumbing's not even that old. Yeah, plumbing's not even a thing. Or, or Yeah, at this point, or it's, um, not as recent, but like you couldn't afford just to put like water or these tubs in your home. So people just had bath houses. Like you would go to a house, like a, I don't know, what would you describe it as? Uh, yeah, like a mm-hmm. facility for bathing. You, well, yeah, but like if you, especially in um, Asian or like Japanese culture. So if you, a great reference for this is the movie Spirited Away. There is a massive bathhouse and it's not like a spa. It's like a really fancy multi-level structure thing and it's got like pools and like you go in i mean you don't get like naked i mean i think some of them you do get naked mm-hmm. but you you go in like a swimsuit but you're still able to sort of like bathe well it's i mean it's also like we only discovered germs in 1872 oh, yeah. so i'm just it's thinking true. in the grand Accurate. scheme of not only not having water in your home but not even having the same concepts of of germs and yeah um spreading and i said that in like for the full context of thinking about even having like now we like desire to be clean and things like that and like so like think having those things in our home is i think a lot more pervasive than before you had any of these um ideas of like yourself as smelly or dirty or anything (laughs) just yeah it's just a different standard which if you think about it is insane because like these people are oxidizing metals to heat 
silicone. But they're, but they're probably real smelly. I know, and they, like, don't understand. <laughs> they also thought that, like, you would, like, do bloodletting and that, like, your oh, yeah. bile and all this stuff. It's like, guys, like, could you not, like, understand? I don't know. It's I mean, not that I would know. I mean, no. I would have no idea. Um. So, anyway, so bathhouses. So, they actually discovered the very first one in Pompeii. And just to catch you guys up on Pompeii, if you aren't 100% sure what that is, is that Pompeii is the site of a very large city. I would say it's akin to, like... Not really Atlanta, because Atlanta is so spread out, but imagine like an actual, like, I don't know, like a New York or a Chicago or something. Yeah, Metropolis. Yeah, Metropolis. It is, it is in Italy, right? Like even yes, of, we I went to it on our present, honeymoon. Present day in Italy. Very romantic. It used to be somewhere else. Yeah, it is. It was in it's like in the actual like boot of Italy because there is a volcano there. And basically the volcano erupted and encased the entire town, including Pliny, including people. Yep. Live people were like. Uh, mummified in the yeah. volcanic uh, what a, whatever it's called. It's it's really morbid, but what's fascinating about what happened here, it's like, I, you know, I'm so sorry that that happened to a few people, but you can go there. So my husband and I honeymooned in Italy, and that was a huge site that we went to, and you can walk around that town and it looks, I mean, obviously you can tell it got run over by a volcano, but it, you can see everything. You can see the structures of the homes. You can see how they were cooking. You can see the art. You, well, can, you can see it very, so preserved. I think that that's um, one of the, I mean, for obviously, yes, tragic event, but so also, tragic. I mean, something's going to get all of us. So yeah, from I mean, that perspective, yeah. at least if there's ways we can benefit from learning about the other people, it's a little bit like Utsi when mm. we did our tattoos and piercings episode yeah. and we, you know, discovered that part of the reason that we, he is such a trove of information for us because he was like perfectly preserved. Yeah. So it's the same kind of Cicated, thing. Otherwise things. Thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but it's same. A lot of people did escape, but same thing as what's happening right now. A lot of people are wearing masks, but you always have some of those people that are like, nah, the volcano's a hoax. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, sure, the volcano's a hoax. You stay there, you hang out, it's fine. <laughs> Just walk towards the volcano. Yeah, it's fine. you go that way. You'll help future historians. It's great. So they did find uh, glass in Pompeii. Um, so the process to make large glass, and there's a hilarious photo that I will put, it's not hilarious, it just is a lot of people, um, that I'll put on the website. I don't know what that means. It's just like, it's like a, it's like a photo of like a bunch of people in, um. In Pompeii? No, no, no. Oh my God, no. I was like, I'm so confused. (laughs) No, no. So imagine a warehouse, like a warehouse space. It took probably like 15 to 20 people to make a sheet of glass back then because the process was, so it's like a bunch of people around this like big kiln, big, big oven thing. And they would have to get these huge blobs of glass and they got these really long sticks and they just basically, um, uh, you know, like a pole vaulter, what's it called? They swung yeah, it. Yeah, I'm imagining someone making a large pizza, yeah, kinda. pizza dough round yeah. above their heads. Like they're yeah. just flinging it back and forth, <laughs> but it's glass. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really dangerous. Well, yeah, but you know, of... it's centrifugal force. So sure. if you push the glass over your head, but as that happens, it started stretching out. So mm-hmm. they're able to stretch it that way. But it took a lot of people because mm-hmm. like the heaviness of it. So they continued to do that. And then then they started making what they called broad glass. I yeah. just think I would have given up. Mm-hmm. I would have just had my window I mean, with no, I'm telling with no you, glass in it. That's why this. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I have no skill, no desire. <laughs> Apocalypse happens. Y'all aren't getting windows. It's not happening. <laughs> We'll just Unless we wood. can, yeah, just use what we already have. Yeah, but we're getting new ones. Unless it's like a super heated apocalypse where the like all the windows like melt, and then we. Don't I mean, have if that's the case, anymore. then we're not going to be here anyway. either. Well, so. we have we read that book Seven Eves. 
or a book club, mm-hmm. which told the tale of this happening somewhat. And some people dug caves and lived underground for a really long time, but then they turned into like mole people. Yeah. Were those the people that stayed on Earth? Yeah. Mm. There were people, there were two types, actually. There were people that stayed on Earth and in caves, and then people that went underwater, and they turned into people. Mm. Sorry to spoil this book, but it actually should have been, like, six books, and it was instead one giant book. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, I, I, I gave it up after What a sidebar. I read the whole thing, and I liked it, but I was like, wow, this could have been developed into a better story. Anyway, glass. Okay, so that's essentially how they started to make glass. They understood how to heat it. Um, they would swing it back and forth to make large sheets. They um, knew how to flatten it. Beverages. Beverage <laughs> glasses. So I think this is also really interesting. Yes, containers glass, because I think people were just fine with their like wooden or like metal containers, but yeah. I think glass is a better. Um, uh, I don't know. It's just I didn't actually look up why they would switch over to glass and why glass is such a big. Like I you mean, don't have a bunch of metal cups in your house. No, you have a bunch of glass cups. We have actually a couple of metal cups, and I really like them for smoothies. Well. Uh, but I agree, and I I'm wondering too, like because I think of ceramic so i think you know folks had like yeah. pottery mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. which they mm-hmm. would use for for glasses but um yeah i've never actually thought about like when when we started using it's glass. probably cheap you think i mean I yeah i definitely think that sand production. is cheaper than metal oh no i meant then like ceramics so, oh like, yeah yeah i'm you not know, sure have a little like ceramic mug yeah you know because well mugs aren't glass that's so. true it must be about like con- like conduce conducing what's the word conductivity conductivity <laughs> Of heat. Like something staying hot or cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so glass containers are they they don't really know when they started because again, glass is also I don't know why I said again, I haven't said this yet, <laughs> but glass is hard to keep around. I mean it shatters. It's mm-hmm. not like you can preserve it all that well. So they think that glass containers are about sixteen hundred years old. Which honestly, that's pretty recent. Sixteen hundred, that's pretty recent. So for, we're looking at about the four hundreds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For a glass container for wine and beer. But then they didn't get start to get used until the late seventeenth century. And then seventeen thirty-nine in the United States is when the large scale production of bottles was pioneered. Seventeen thirty-nine, that's when we got glass bottles Dang. for things. That's crazy. Before we were it was a guy named Casper. Okay. Casper must have been like a great name back then. I do not know anybody named What Kasper. was he doing that he started making? He just said, it, it just says he pioneered it. They wanted, oh, uh, oh, it might have to do with carbonation also. So in the 1770s, the carbonation process for producing soft drinks. That's probably the correlation Required there. I did glass. not go super far into that because I think we'll do a soft drink episode later. Ooh, yes. Um, but yeah. Soft drinks and straws. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> that's a great combo. Yeah. Yes. So also soft drinks are disgusting. Sorry. If you've ever worked at fast food, you know how they work because they give you the carbonation and you add the syrup. Yeah. It's pretty like, gross. Carbonated beverages are just syrup mixed with bubble water anyway so yeah it probably had something to do with the carbonation and glass holding it well because i don't think that a ceramic or a wooden or a whatever i mean tin later on but Mm. ew okay Hmm. um so the only thing i know i had was the sweet home alabama (laughs) which i started the podcast with well i i had it at the end here but then i was like no i need to like bring them in with pop culture and (laughs) make them stay with with history um the last note that i have is about recycling glass 
because how on earth do you recycle it? So um, machines will sort it and then they actually make something, they crush it. So they do crush all of your glass and then they make it into something called a cullet. Culets, cullets. What is it used for? Um, they mix it with more limestone, soda, ash, and raw materials, and then they melt it again. So glass is actually one of the things that's more easily recycled than everything else hmm. because they can just if you crush have the, it and melt if you have down. the technology and resources to do exactly. it, exactly. Which I think is why, because I know, yeah. I think DeKalb County does not recycle glass, but yeah, Atlanta City still somewhere. does. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. but it's it just it's not because of the recyclability; it's because of the technology. You have required. to have like giant mm-hmm. ovens and the crushers and yeah. all that. So yeah, I I keep my glass in like an Amazon box, and then I take it, I try to take it once every quarter or so to the little place that's down off of um whatever that road is. There's like a big recycling plant that you can take things to. Recycling's great, guys. Okay, so that's glass, which is crazy. I mean, it took thousands of years for them to hone their craft. It took a long time for them to learn how to make big pieces of glass. Um, volcanoes are dangerous. Don't touch them. <laughs> so tell us about what you how learned. we then apply something, something, something to make a mirror on well, top of glass. I have to tell you that we had glass. We did glass first. With the expectation that it would be older. If you tell me that mirrors are older than glass, I am going to fall off my stool. There's a, no Okay, way. here's what I'm going to tell you. Let me go back to my notes. Let's There's see. a human. Okay. Uh-huh. A human might accidentally discover that glass is a thing and then eventually surmise to... Like, yeah, yeah. Make it. To innovate, to make it, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But humans have always wanted... To look at themselves. <laughs> yeah, but you've got so, like, water. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. So so, so mirrors are, are as old as people because we have, Stop. as soon as, if we could see that there was a reflection, it, it has been the desire to make a thing so that we could see ourselves better. Stop. As soon as we knew that we I had the concept of seeing ourselves. So, like, the first mirrors were water. Okay. Right, right, exactly right. Right, right, yeah. Um, but... Basically, everyone wanted to make one. So this is one of those origins that transcends a specific culture. I mean, I'll get into which cultures can be credited, but spoiler, it's a lot of them because freaking everyone wanted to look at themselves. I mean, but think about it's like such a desire. Yeah. And and I'll get into a little bit more about the kind of things that have have come since like like even our understanding of ourselves, you know, could potentially Mm -hmm. change Mm -hmm. based on like how able we are to look at ourselves. But the idea that we want to catch a glimpse that is is incredibly pervasive. So they're super, super old. Um, We have been looking at ourselves for hundreds of thousands of years. Oh my god. Um, since there was a desire since there was humans, there was a desire to see our reflection. Um, so I want to talk about three different general range time ranges of mirrors, uh ancient mirrors, medieval mirrors, and then modern mirrors. Um, but I first want to quote this um source called the Binenstock Furniture Library, which um very very aptly <laughs> said um, the mirror as object is called one of mankind's most consistent civilizers, bringing a sense of personal reflection and comparative identity. So I think like if glass, this is me interrupting mm-hmm. my own quote. I think if glass is something that is like an innovation, mirrors, 
get a lot closer to like the heart of what it means to be human, oh including God. including like this sense of mystic, mystic the sense mm-hmm. of knowing ourselves, the concept of a soul, um, our psychology, how we how we interact with ourselves like it it's it's much it goes much deeper and i think that's why the the concept or the desire mm-hmm. is so old um it makes so, sense i just i'm just floored because you're so right i mean yeah. yeah so it says the quote continues um the mirror is central to every aspect of human history art archaeology medicine psychology philosophy technology optics and of course style so i mean like you can't argue with that list um I mean, as soon as they realize the capacity for its use in science and in terms of um, telescopes, I mean, it, I mean, they, oh, it, it's yeah. it's endless. So you, you Dang. yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a really really big old old origin. It's very exciting. Yeah. So, um, ancient mirrors, ancient mirror. Basically, the earliest ones were really 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 well polished metal or stone. Huh. So like okay. to where and it it wouldn't even come close to what we can like look at on our walls today because we have obviously <laughs> transcended into the modern mirror phase, which I'll right. get to. But in terms of like thinking about, okay, I have no other way besides walking towards some water of seeing um seeing myself. So um the earliest man-made mirrors were polished obsidian or um Ooh. stone or mirrors made from black volcanic glass obsidian. So yeah. If you okay. have the that shiny thing that comes out of a volcano, um, it's already Man, there. That volcanic glass. Exactly. Make a thing since since volcanoes existed. Exactly. So artifacts um, of obsidian mirrors have been found in Anatolia, which is modern day uh, Turkey, as well as um, well, I'll get to others, but that's like a very very early one, um, dating back six thousand years at least. So that puts us around 4,000 yeah. BCE as Let's well. Let's see, mine, yeah, mine was about, the first beads they found were 2,500 BC. Okay. And then, yeah. So I'm at about 4,000 mm-hmm. BC, roughly. Okay. However, a different source cited simple mirrors at closer to 600 BC. So obviously that's a huge range. Again, I think it's it's if we're going at the start of shiny surfaces used Right. As a mirror or like when, you know, um, that simple mirror, what, what that means, if it, exactly. it, it will start to change as I'll get into in terms of technology. So common materials were copper, bronze, silver, gold, lead and metal alloys, especially um, in China. They're credited with a lot of um, alloy, which my understanding from like seventh grade science is when you put metals together <laughs> yeah. right, to make an alloy. Um, so the Babylonians, which falls over modern day Iran and Iraq, were using polished copper mirrors. Egyptians developed their own around 3000 BC. Um, again, copper, bronze and speculum alloy produced in China and India around 2000 BC. So these are it's not that we don't know. We don't know outright which of them would have, quote, had it first, but that they were all producing it really old. We have artifacts from all of them and everyone wanted it. But uh, I guess the question there is that, like, you really have to be high class because can you imagine getting oh, no. some copper or gold oh, yes, and no, 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 not no, no, no. spending it? Oh, right. It was not like even just being able to obtain those precious metals right. was one thing and then to literally use it to shine it so that you might catch a glimpse of yourself exactly like, uh, like. like and it's in fact I, ha- I have a quote somewhere down further about like um 
just the idea that even having the ability to ponder oneself being like such a privilege. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. Yeah. Like regular folk are not. They're not like, I wonder what I look like today. How does my hair look? Like, can you imagine being rich enough back then where not only do you grab some gold, you don't have to spend it. You just polish it into a mirror. Right. And for that same reason, though, they did end up like mirrors were absolutely considered heirlooms. They were considered prized Mm. possessions. Mm -hmm. They were things that were passed down. So it's essentially as good as a currency in that case. Right. Because it's it's. Yeah. It's something that can can be it has value. It yeah. can be traded. Mm-hmm. So um, I mentioned the Egyptians, the Chinese, um, a Chinese source from 673 BCE casually mentions the queen wearing a mirror in her girdle, which would indicate that the technology existed. Yeah. So but there's that mention of it in the record. Like the first little pocket <laughs> mirror. Exactly. Mirror. Yeah. Well, and this would have been even just like a tiny little reflecty thing <laughs> right just the tech lip gloss yes, yes. <laughs> it reminds me of like you know how you've always if you look at i don't know if you've ever done this but you can sometimes the like the back of a spoon versus the front of a spoon yeah um and like how you it see your, reflection. your nose shape yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, i'll get to that in a minute so yeah uh it's pretty likely that the technology developed independently in these places or was at least like widely spread spread and shared when certain methods or alloys could be mm-hmm shared and spread um so ancient egyptians used polished copper to produce mirrors um ancient mesopotamians used uh, polished metal as well polished stone is also known in central and south america particularly in from the mayans at also around 2000 bc um in china i mentioned the alloys a mixture of tin and copper um they would basically polish the crap out of it until it was reflective Man. so uh, it's really widespread yeah i wouldn't have even thought to do that like if i'm early man i wouldn't have been like you know what i'm gonna i mean but you're right it really it, it didn't come from you know what it came from i need to see myself like i need to be able to see me I right guess. because it's like it's almost like i i wonder so you know like you said a volcano produced the conditions for it to be hot enough to make glass which then people can see and be like, oh, wow, this can exist. Let's t- right. let's Replicated. harness the power of Volcano. natural science and chemistry to recreate this. A mirror is almost something like more fundamentally human yeah. and less G ge- like less scientific because it's because it's it's it springs from a human desire. Oh <laughs> it's not like a, it's not, it doesn't really have a um, technological function. You know what? I have to take this back to aliens just for like a minute. Yeah. So one of my favorite of movies do. is Arrival where spoiler, I mean, spoilers for the movie Arrival, they see some <laughs> sure. aliens, but yes, like, <laughs> there are aliens. So they bring a bird into the aliens den thing because they need to show like, I'm a human. This is a bird. I make this sound. Our birds make this sound. Mm. But like, what if they had brought a mirror? Like, I think that's a great way to see how if it, if, if aliens oh, come to Earth, right. we need to be like, do you what do you see in this? Yes. Like, what do you recognize? Because well, I thing? we have I mean, don't we often wonder, like, when our animal looks oh, into the mirror, like no what? Idea. But but what do they even see? Like, what do they? I can't even imagine. I what think they, they said that octopi actually, octopuses actually do, they do understand. Yeah, but they're very they, smart. But they mm-hmm. don't care. I, I almost wonder if like my cats do actually see themselves. So they don't care enough to like react. Well, I mean, it has to go with like they, they could acknowledge 
I guess my question is, do they see that as a cat? Because they know what other cats look like. Because my cats, at least, they go outside, they see other cats, and they hiss at them. Yeah. <laughs> so they see a cat. They know what cat mm-hmm. looks like. But do they, but know, do they know that it's that? That's what I mean. Oh. That's the thing is it. And that is also, but that's a mark of a higher sentience, right? A higher sentience that you can, you have not only the ability to look in a mirror and know that it is you, but you have the desire to look into the mirror. Yeah, that's huge. It's a huge concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, then, accordingly, (laughs) man wanted to make better mirrors. Um, Yep. So, it is believed that mirrors made of metal-backed glass. So, again, we haven't quite gotten to, well, spoiler, silvered glass is what's used now. I'll explain that. Yeah, right? I guess in my head, I imagine that it's like a a silver surfer-type metal liquid that you, like, melt on top of something that's in my well, head i mean yeah they, I they were using no they were using um lead and mercury and a lot of like mm. not great i mean that we know now but like things that are pretty dangerous but um they it is believed that the mirrors made of metal back glass were first produced in lebanon in the first century AD. um so the original double o's um and uh, the original double o's the oh romans God. also made crude mirrors from blown glass with lead yeah, backing because at this point if yes. i go back to my notes so they the definitely have understood mm-hmm. how to make glass so if i just reference mine because i did a really good job i felt like i did a good job a better job researching this time and i'm very excited that i wrote down all my dates I was like, you know what? I'm going to look at this. And I lost the date. But yeah, I remember That's saying okay. like, AD, the but Romans, said the Romans but, but, but here's the thing. Um, like, imagine, you know, when you walk by. Um, so this would have been the start of a good idea, because once you start to develop glass. So this is when our two ideas kind of overlap. You you can see that you can see yourself just not well. Right. So, you know, when you walk by like a store. Oh, yeah. I check window. Every you, everyone like, does. Exactly. You, you have the ability to see yourself, but not nearly as well as you would with a mirror. So mm-hmm. when they see that, they can say, oh, OK, well, if we can get a, some way to put some type of, I, you know, innovate it so that we can put something yeah. on this glass that we can that will make it easier to see um, ourselves. So the uh, blown glass with lead backings is Roman. Um, and then they're also found in that kind of early, the third century AD. So we've got a couple hundred years, um, you know, into the, um, more recent, uh, found in Egypt and Gaul and Germany, and then just vaguely Asia. Um, so, uh, as I've noted, glass is a poor reflector on its own. So there would have been an interest in seeing, um, a reflection and wanting to improve upon that. So, um, and as I mentioned, they, they were definitely precious possessions. Um, so yeah. that there's, there's a really large gap here. So we pretty much have, um, really up until the Renaissance, we don't really have a lot of innovation. So from what I mentioned, first to third centuries AD, um, and then really the next innovation is going to be with the, um, Phoenicians. Yep. Those Phoenicians uh, man. again. And, and also the Lebanese, like, <laughs> And I apologize for not knowing quite the differentiation between those on a map. Oh, I have it. Oh, where's 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 um, so I wrote Phoenician. this down. I wrote down Phoenicia, present day Lebanon. OK, good. And then I also have like Ptolemais, like it's P-T-O-L-E-M-A-I-S as modern day Israel. So we're kind of talking, you OK, know, obviously. And, it, and that, which I think is also kind of Mesopotamia, right? Like, we're, yes, we're all of that is like you'll have to the Fertile Crescent sort of. Yeah. And it's okay if you don't know, like we're history 
people, Jesse's really more way of <laughs> which person, is but. which is uh you know sometimes to my discredit because I'm like oh crap I should know all these things <laughs> and I'm like but, you know over yes. there in those lands but yes I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like short shrifting someone else but yes so if we think about in this case we have really a large gap which is sort of usually attributed to the dark ages um collapse of some societies a general period of no innovation or at least none that we know of so like if there was innovation during that phase it is not recorded. Um, then we land inside on Lebanon um, with the first experiments going on beyond polished metal and stone. Um, so here we have where they took, um, they did experiments on parabolic, concave, cylindrical, and spherical mirrors. So we have evidence that they were doing this there. We just don't have a single person or a single workshop to credit it to. Man, come on, guys, write stuff down. Well, I mean, they probably did, and it maybe got lost in a fire. Yeah. There was a volcano. I mean, there could be <laughs> any, there was the any number of things that could have destroyed the records that they had. Uh, that they had. Yeah. Um, guys, take notes. Take notes. Put oh it in a fireproof safe. I believe that the Lebanese people did do that well, and it just, just got lost. Yeah. But like even then, like we have like a, my parents <laughs> actually gifted us a um, fireproof safe for Christmas Thanks. one year because it's like, you know what? That's actually like a really smart gift because there's a, there's a bunch of like documents and things that we might not like know exactly where they are. And if we have like a house fire, it's good to know that we can put things in one place that is fireproof. Yes. So we don't lose, you know. I have to tell you a really funny story, and I haven't even changed this yet. Um, we got a filing cabinet <laughs> for, like, documents because I realized I just had you a little, um, like, yeah. IKEA basket. Oh, my God. And I had been using that, and I've been an adult for now long enough that my IKEA basket, I my documents outgrew it. And, oh, my um, And so we got this filing cabinet from Ben's, Ben's parents, and it uh, it's in our garage, which is, first of all, very unsafe. Oh, my gosh. Um, and second... I went ahead and locked it. I was like, oh, this is great. I locked it and I put the key on my, um, on my, like my house keys. And Ben was like, well, where's the other one? And I was like, well, I kept it in the state, in the, in the <laughs> filing cabinet. So we currently only, there. if I lose my keys, we will have no way. You'll of, have to like get a welder and a welder. <laughs> which it's not, melt I all mean, but it, it is like, there are important documents. Oh. Anyway, he was like, that's not smart. Please, oh, that's so Please funny. fix that. Yeah. So, so don't be us, guys. Just, uh, yeah, you know, but we don't have a fireproof safe. Get a fireproof safe. This, you know, think about the Phoenicians. Think about these people. <sighs> Write things down multiple ways. Know. They probably had fireproof safes, too. And what good you did think? it do them? <laughs> Listen. Nothing stops a volcano. The volcano would straight this is melt true. a fireproof safe. So to make a mirror, pre-Christian Lebanese or Phoenicians blew a thin sphere of molten glass into a bubble, then poured hot lead into the bulb of glass. The lead coated the inside of the glass. Um, this is important because I don't know how much you know about silvered glass, but technically if you were to take, cause you can do this yourself, you can get like a spray can Oh yeah, and you can get a piece of glass and you can spray on the thing to make a mirror, but it's reflecting from the other side. The side you spray is not going to reflect you. You have to then flip it around and the other side will show you yourself. Weird. So if you can look it up on YouTube, I, I did this just because I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> and it will make perfect sense to you. Like when you first spray it, you're like, oh, it's just silver. I've messed up. And then you flip it around because if you think about it, mm. it needs the, like it essentially needs a back to reflect it back at you. Right. So that's the same concept, but on the inside of the glass. And then when the glass cooled, it was broken and cut into convex yeah. pieces of mirror. Exactly. So this is important because it's the same thing you were talking about with that shape. And it would have actually looked more like a funhouse mirror, mm -hmm. but it still gave us some better improvement on yeah. 
seeing ourselves because we couldn't do it yet. Like, yes, well, as I was saying, you you couldn't make giant pieces of glass yet. No, because they were just then beginning to get. Yes, there. And, and actually, um, this gets more into medieval mirrors, which is really what I'm dangling at the <laughs> beginning of right now. But uh, you'll recognize, and I'll share a photo, uh, a painting of a wealthy family and it would be common if you'll see in like old paintings you'll see that as a mark of their wealth they might have one of these on the wall and it's Ooh. very small and it's curved interesting like imagine oh, I, I once once I saw this I was like oh yes I've definitely seen that in art before Ooh. where it's like this yeah. idea of this old because it would have been tiny right I mean mm-hmm. you'd only see your face like there are no yeah, I'll have to look that up. That's fascinating. You know, um, full length mirrors, right? We're talking yeah. a tiny, tiny mirror. Um, so yes, that is what they had. They would have still, though, been low in clarity, um, bubbly and distorted, obviously. So during the Renaissance, this process from the Phoenicians was sort of then carried into Europe, coating glass with a mixture of tin and mercury, um, which remember was also popular in China. So definitely giving the Phoenicians a lot of credit. Also, the Chinese were with their alloyed version. Um, But like I said, there were plenty of cultures um, from ancient times trying to get themselves involved. Um, But then (laughs) we have um, the medieval European era, which saw a lot of innovation um, in terms of Renaissance mirrors. Again, where there was a lot of trade and wealth uh, collecting is probably a reason why there could be an industry like this building up, let's say, in um Venice. Ah, oh, yeah, I was gonna say Venice. I didn't quite Don't get that in my research because I didn't feel like it overlaps a lot with mine. Yeah, well it's not over- overlapping, but honestly, some of these histories are so long and so big that I can't possibly do every single aspect. I really mm. wanted to get to the heart of like how we got well, to and that's modern not day. Our, yeah, our, our our podcast isn't just here is the history on a yeah, thing. Like, we're really like, trying to talk about like who was that what, right. what was the, where did that idea come from? Yeah, this podcast right. is basically my apocalypse skill. Like, if I can just learn the basics, then at least I can. I, I can think say, we're gonna be in really rough shape. You know, I would have. I mean, I've tried making beer, for example, and oh, it was very. No. Ooh, I'm trying to grow tomatoes right now, and they just keep. They can't grow past like tiny bite size, and they just split and then fall. Oh, I don't know what so I'm doing wrong. I just, I, but I don't want to know. So yeah, I, I had Venetians a little bit in mind, but honestly, they 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 brought it to a level of artistry mm-hmm. and then also it just kind of goes back to like if you've got money and if mm-hmm. you've got a lot of trade and a lot of Which people you're not wrong yeah that is that. what starts to foster mm-hmm. art in in the flourishing um of items and i think that's really important to note and it's all it's part of the heart of the podcast too is like you this sort of wealth and class and trade and, and knowledge and ideas it, it right because one of the things that i've sort of been struggling with too that seems to come up every time that we propose a new origin and I'm looking into it is this idea that like, okay, sure. Um, the first person to get a patent was X and you're like, yes, but that is based on the modern concept of even like having a, having an industry that writes that kind of stuff down. It's like when we were talking about, um, unknown species, when I was talking about Kraken, Mm -hmm. it's not that there weren't those species, but that who was the first person to write it down exactly. just because some other culture that had long recognized this animal didn't have a written language or hadn't invented a family genus species, yeah. you know, way of organizing things. And so it, that is all relative. And I think that's, it's important to note that though, when we talk about this, it's like, there are some things that we're just not going to know the origins of, but the question is still, you know, having this conversation is still mm-hmm. s- so worth it. Yeah. And that's why history 
is a thing in history majors. You know what? You get that history major. You do it. You can give voices to people that may have not. Well, you know what? I will tell you that. <laughs> making fun of Jesse for her history I had a, major. I had a student recently, because, um, you know, there's a lot going on in our world right now. And I had a student recently tell me in a session that um, he really, you know, considers himself a, a risk taker and is, you know, excited to take risks. And he said, well, you know, yeah. that that should be clear because I'm getting a, a degree in English. And I, and, I, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I said, well, and by the way, I'm getting my PhD in English, yeah, yeah. but that's another aside. But my, I said, oh yes. I said, I can relate. You know, my undergrad was in history and he straight up was like, well, but that's a useful degree. Oh Olivia, gosh. I have never had a student say that to me. I think that is that's a sign of the times. That is a sign that someone is paying attention to oh like, the, you know, gosh. perhaps historians might have looked at these things and have oh. maybe been writing about them and talking about them and trying to share them with the public for a really long time. And now people want to listen. It's hysterical. So, that's that's a great. Useful <laughs> um, I do think history is very important. I think... Uh, sorry to keep going on the sidebar, everybody, but history gets a bad rep for being like, quote unquote, boring. And so I do think that it, it's really important to make sure that history is blended in with people who can tell stories really well, because there's nothing worse than sitting in a history class and then just having a bunch of facts thrown into your ears. And you're like, yeah. what? My first really, really, really good um, history teacher wasn't until college. Sorry, clear. High no, school. that's I mean, that's a, that's a common. Right. Problem, and he gave us fiction. He gave us historical fiction and mm -hmm. said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to read this book and then we're going to learn together what was real and what was fake. And That's then after that, it, yeah. he gave us some nonfiction that was that was told really, really, really well. And then he was just so excited about it and teaching it in this kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's what's missing is that the soul and the artistry of history is lost a lot of times. Well, because the other thing that happens um, frequently is that students learn history in like a linear narrative timeline that makes you think that it's like was already faded. Like, of course, this happened because this happened, which led to this, which led to this. And I think one of the things when you start to actually learn about the, the messy, complicated nature of people and the things that they're doing is that they don't know that it might mean this or that or the other later. And and um, how much of an impact that can have on human events. Yeah, so yeah. like a good example that I've never told you offline, but I'm going to tell you again for the sake of the <laughs> podcast is that, um, when, um, Woodrow Wilson was, if he was the president at the end of world war one and he went to, he had written his, um, oh my gosh, it's either 17 points or 19 points. He wrote a really wrote, famous speech he and he was presenting on like, here is the, 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 uh, for, in order for Europe to have peace, we need to follow these things. And a lot of them was being really um, calling for a really kind approach to Germany. So because one of the questions that whenever a war ends is like, how do you punish the people who started the war? Same punish. question would go with the Civil War, which is the Civil War. The U.S. Civil War is really actually fascinating, too, because you had all these people who were essentially um, treasoners. And yeah. how do you punish them when when the war is over? You know, so what what are the there has to be some sort of. Um, reprimand right otherwise what are the consequences anyway so he goes over to europe and he's trying to argue for peace um but obviously the european leaders are real pissed at germany and so he's trying to be a really good moderator but he has the pandemic the spanish flu right um and so he imagine like trying to have the flu like if he hadn't had the flu 
um, the events at the end of World War One could have turned out very, very differently. Yeah, and told and it's that just, way. It's fascinating. <laughs> right, yeah. but it's just like these small things that we don't think about where we're like, okay, well, it could have been, you know, because, spoiler, if you don't know, the way that they punished Germany was so harsh that it essentially led to the Third Reich because pe- the Germans were very bitter and angry and indebted and had a lot of hardship. And so, I mean, they came back roaring and we had World War II. Um, that's another story. But yeah. the point is, it, it, these are not things that were fated to be that way. Like history is very dynamic. And so mm-hmm. when you learn it from like, a, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. That's so really boring. doing a discredit. To, like no one wants that. You yeah. know, I was even thinking because Hamilton came out. <laughs> yeah, Hamilton. It's like, today. OK, here we have a a good way that can engage people in like the, the things that Alexander Hamilton was thinking about, which are very much like they're they they're very complicated in the scope of U.S. history. It wasn't just that he only said this or thought this or believed this. Like he was a very complicated, nuanced person, as is like anyone who's in leadership. And that just often gets like mis. Yeah, it can get, you know, flattened when you yeah. think about history. Yeah, that was a huge aside. But anyway, all that to say, the Venetians, man, these are these are good big questions. And, and we understand that the origin, obviously, yeah, you can't always find I, I feel bad leaving out the Venetians. And that was you said it. And I was like, oh, no, I should have. I mean, I do have a side note uh, here about like Venice is like the 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 hugest culture of glass. But, you know, it, yes. it, it had already been invented at that point. So. Well, and I'm going to share a little bit about so they yeah. did have um, according to our old folks at the Beck Furniture Library that I mentioned before. <laughs> uh, a guild of mirror makers first recorded uh, in the city of Nuremberg in 1373. Again, that's the first recorded. There could have been older ones that we don't know. Soon followed by a guild in the city of Venice. So as I mentioned before, early mirrors were like glass, small, difficult to make, very breakable. Um, the process of applying heat to molten metal often broke the glass. So yeah. it was oh, really yes. complicated. Like, I yeah. mean, imagine those glass blowers please watch that netflix show they break things all like it's just devastating um so the florentines invented a process for making low temperature lead backing so that was crucial because the low temperature um helped to ensure the glass was going to be less likely to break um sort of solve the temperature problem Um, a lot of the earlier problems also involved as i mentioned clarity um this was resolved through this same kind of process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it remained a closely guarded secret of the Venetians. And I did, you perhaps already know this if you researched the Venetians, but the secret of mirror making credited to Venice um, remained so, so, so um, secret that people, um, their secrets were discovered via, they call I mean, literally industrial espionage. So people are trying to figure out how they do this. It in, remains extremely rare and expensive. Um, how stuff works says that the secrets of mirror making were so precious and lucrative that craftsmen could be assassinated for their knowledge. What? Um, like imagine you have this skill and it's this thing. And again, people want mirrors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it is coveted. Um, so important was mirror making to the economy of Venice that guildsmen were sworn to uphold trade secrets. Oh my gosh. Upon penalty of death in the rare instance in which a guildsman was permitted to travel outside the city, his family was held 
hostage. And if the traveler failed to return home, forfeited their lives. Can you imagine, like, the stakes of going on vacation means that your family gets taken hostage? Like, what is that? Or that, that? like, you could be assassinated at any point in time for not giving up your trade secret. It's probably scandalous, actually. Like, can you imagine? I mean, I think that feels really important. Like, because you have to think about these youngins in in history. You're, like, 16, 17, and you're an apprentice to a mirror maker, and it's, like, life or death. This is very high stakes. Exactly. Exactly. You want to feel that way. It sounds yes. dangerous, but honestly, like they weren't doing anything. Like it was like a joy to be able to, to be a well, secret keeper. You know, that would be that would be a good uh historical fiction, right? This uh oh, Venetian I'm gonna write, uh, gonna write a book about this apprentice. Venetian gl- uh, mirror, mirror making apprentice. apprentice. Um so for that reason in France, Bohemia, which is a region in modern day Germany and Germany, um became large producers of glass after Venice. Um Saint Gobain in France, which I'll talk about in a minute, is famous for the um Louis the Fourteenth. Hall of Mirrors, which is considered a oh yeah, obviously um sort of feat of modern ingenuity. Uh, so then we move into um, also in the the medieval range of time. I should mention it's when um, modern science was also developing, and people started to realize that mirrors could be useful for magnification. Uh, seeing things close up and seeing things far away. So think about yeah. the use oh, yeah. of technology. All this ties in together. Yes. Sure. Um, so then we move into the silvered glass, which is the modern uh, glass as we know it today, um, which is obviously um, going to be much more recent. So we have a date of 1835. Wow, that's pretty recent, actually. Yes. Yeah. In terms of, again, before that, it was these kind of like... Um, shaped curved mm-hmm. you have lead you have mercury you have yes the low heat temperature thing is innovated but you still don't really have i mean mirrors are still only for the very wealthy um so you have the german chemist justus von liebig he is also known as the father of modern organic chemistry so again we're going back to the idea of innovating mm-hmm. through chemicals and what we yeah. understand will react with other things he coated a glass with silver in 1835 so it's especially important to uh, advancement because um the use of mercury to coat glass was harmful to people's health yeah absolutely <laughs> so the uh the silver was a big improvement. Yes. Um, so modern glass is silvered, which means a thin layer of silver or aluminum sprayed onto the back Fancy. of a sheet of glass. And that's all it is. Oh, so what you've done, Fancy. I don't feel like I poorly explained it before, but imagine you have like a thing that is see-through. Mm-hmm. If you cover one side with a thing, mm-hmm. now you can look at the yeah, other side and it. see the you reflection. Yeah, so you you're not look looking through, through it, you're, you're seeing it back. That's why you mm-hmm. can't put it on like a ceramic or something. It has to be glass because you have to be able to see it through it. Yes, into it. Right. yes. And then yeah. you see the reflection is coming through from that reflected back piece, Ugh, which is the deep. silver. Uh, yes. So... <laughs> um. The they remained expensive and rare for a while. Um, the concept of knowing oh, this is what I said before the concept of knowing how the world perceived oneself was a matter of great privilege. Um, so by the beginning of the 20th century, um, because remember in 1835, we were the 19th century, we is when mm-hmm. he first did the silver thing, so it's not that old really. By the beginning of the 20th century, less affluent households may have had a small handheld mirror for like you know, checking your face. <laughs> Maybe your wow. hat. Yeah. Um, you will also recall, as I mentioned, Louis the Fourteenth commissioned the Hall of Mirrors, yeah, which is and in I know Versailles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was designed by Mansart, 
uh, begun in 17, uh, excuse me, 1678, and it is 17 mirror-clad arches encompassing 357 mirrors reflecting oh 17 gosh. opposing arcade windows and is known as, quote, one of the most beautiful achievements of classical 18th century French art. But I just want to remind you, I don't think I had ever really appreciated when I think about, oh, you're like the Hall of Mirrors and that old king and like, you know, he was kind of crazy. But like for real, um, that amount of money and wealth and that amount of effort into this thing that was in 1678. Yeah. Real rare. I mean, that we're still talking flex. old, old, old mirrors we're at this a lot point. of money. Oh my gosh. Uh, probably on the backs of many of the, yes. you know, French citizens yep. um, to create this hall of mirrors, but like, dang. So yeah, um, that I have newfound appreciation for yeah. that piece of art because um, that is quite a lot. And multiple uh, hands. 357 yeah. mirrors. Wow. And also the size of them. I mean, at yeah. a time when we've already, we've, if we haven't made clear, <laughs> making a big piece of glass or mirrors was difficult yeah and I, this is so interesting because if you think about modern art a mm -hmm. lot of times you think of tapestries or like um you know what's it called the big one michelangelo's um you know in the ceiling yeah like a painting no, what's it called the big um, one the ceiling one you know what i'm talking about i do we just we can't just, think of the name neither right of us now. can think of okay. the name like the cathedral yeah, of, yeah what is it called um, you know, michelangelo's the... Oh man. With the God and he's touching. Y'all can write in and tell wow. us. Wow. <laughs> Please shame us on Instagram. It's just because it's Friday afternoon and we're both like, like <laughs> what I was going to say is that that's only Michelangelo. That's mm -hmm. one dude. To make mm -hmm. these mirrors, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. That's like, exactly. that's not just like one dude sitting like, that was probably a whole workshop, a whole company, multiple people, yeah. lots of broken mirrors. Well, I mean. and it, But also the important thing to note too that I had never thought about when we think about um, mirrors in terms of art is that it also ushered in an era of a lot of self-portraiture. So think about too, I mean, I always took for granted when you go to an art museum and you're like, oh cool, this guy was like really obsessed with drawing himself yeah. and he did it all the time. <laughs> but it would have actually been kind of a flex yeah. too to be able to even see yourself to be able to draw Very yourself. True. So noted. I have a new appreciation for that. Yeah. Um, so I did want to briefly go into a little quick aside about this really, really human desire to know oneself. Yeah. Um, so mirrors deeply resonate with the human psyche, as I mentioned. Um, this really wonderful quote from How Stuff Works says, they represent truth and illusion at the same time. Okay, that I'm just so going to say that again. Truth and illusion at the same time. I'm going to put that up on the... Because think about it. We want to look into the mirror to see truth, to see what we what we think we might see looking back at us. But also, it's an illusion. Like it's we, flipped. Yeah, concept, you'll never see yourself. Like the, yes, exactly. The concept of what we see or don't see, which I would like to point out again, there's a lot of psyche and superstition involving mirrors and like what's mm -hmm. there or what mm -hmm. isn't there. And so the concept of illusion... Um, this disorienting paradox that makes mirrors essential to both magic and science, which I'd also not magic. only put together, but think about it. I mean, in terms of like miss, just, 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 just an understanding yeah. of, um, of like, no, of like mystic or of belief or what we yeah, think we I mean, know or a lot what of we magic think we see. Yeah. And then also, but obviously of science too, because you have, you know, microscopes and you have telescopes Reflection, and, yeah. you know, you have all of these, um, technology that's based on mirrors super super fascinating so um obviously i would be remiss if i didn't mention narcissus um 
Yay! I was wondering if you were going to talk about that. Fell in love with his own reflection. Please bring in some Greek So obviously you have, um, you're going to have that that very old idea of looking at yourself for reflection in the water and this concept of knowing yourself or knowing your soul um, being something that we're incredibly, incredibly obsessed with. Um, There's also obviously a lot of superstition around mirrors. So you have the idea that a mirror causes seven years bad luck, which Mm, by the way comes from the idea that the soul, which shatters the mirror regenerates after seven years oh so um that's apparently an old roman legend that your soul regenerates every seven years so if you have broken a mirror your soul is somehow affiliated with that man people were real into souls at one point well and again so they were like really wanted to see each other so there's also the um superstition that when um someone dies they could become trapped in the mirror oh yeah Um, and there are also i think i think it's in jewish culture where you would cover a mirror when someone dies yeah um they're also often associated with spirits um side note i didn't know this apparently there's the the lore on vampires is that they have no souls therefore they don't have a reflection into the mirror they wouldn't have a reflection because they don't have a soul so it's really associated with like this idea of our soul as yeah okay seen in the mirror cool so if you don't Mm -hmm. have a reflection you are a probably need to see somebody about that. <laughs> oh my gosh! If I looked in the mirror and I didn't see, oh my myself, gosh, would you not? Just I would like have. Freak out? I would. I would have a, a an existential crisis. Yeah, I, think. I can't imagine. Which is again why I'm like when my cat looks into the mirror, like what does she like, see? Like what are you looking at? Yes, because yeah. our cats they get their water from the upstairs. Yeah, it encounter. always freaks me out when I come in. Um, they don't have water downstairs. I, yeah, so I'm always like, Jesse, where's their water? It's so upstairs in the, the bathroom. I know you do time. every single time, but I, I get home and I'm always like, oh, sweet Olivia. But it is, they do have water upstairs. But then and I'm like, but Avery can't really jump. So like sometimes I'll put like some little water I on the ground. I am going to keep like, that you know there what? until she can, will eventually get her a little stool. But she is, she's 12. Um, but yeah, so they, so they sit up there on that counter and they... I, I, I guess might look at themselves. I don't know. They're just sitting on the counter. Maybe they don't have a souls. water bowl. Well, I mean, That's what is a soul? I mean, I we, we don't Gosh. know. So these are very deep. We didn't mean to get this deep. So but, deep. Um, also in ancient Japan, they were a way, mirrors were a way to speak with the Shinto gods when they were placed in shrines for them. Um, so mirrors are also really popular in um, folklore and literature. I need to point out the ancient in ancient Chinese mythology. This is super super cool to me. I feel like you and I could both write some serious fan fiction about this. Oh, let's. Um, there's the Mirror Kingdom, where creatures are bound by magic to sleep, but will one day rise again to do battle with our world. Love it. So strange movements we see in mirrors out of the corner of our <gasps> eyes are supposedly the first stirrings of that mirror world oh as it wakes gosh. up. Oh my gosh! So it. I love that idea. So oh. I, I I then got really deep into thinking about this concept of like mirrors as revealing alternate worlds and um, we think about like even in stranger things the concept of the upside down right that we're kind of obsessed with this like mirror image of a world that is yeah. ours, ours but different and honestly you know why we do that though because i was thinking through that and researching it we do that because we're bored like we do that because we want our own lives to have excitement and meaning because yeah. if you look at these stories like harry potter or anything else it's always somebody who lives an ordinary life and then suddenly is thrust into mm-hmm. adventure and greatness and Blah. and it's mm-hmm. it's like no like the theme is that you're really bored <laughs> well and i mean it, it, but it also harkens back to our first uh episode this season about kraken and mermaids too it's like we 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 absolutely want to we want to invent something we want to imagine that what we've seen is incredible or meaningful or has some purpose and exactly. you know it's and, it, and i think that's great like it, it i i think that is a really really cool thing about humans is that man we are willing to work so hard to 
to be able to look at ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> like for millennia, definitely. you know, people have been wanting to look at ourselves. And so Dagnabbit, we figured it out. We did. So, so I got it. Here's our story. It's going to be about a young Venetian glass blower who discovers mirrors the mirror and then he sees things and he realizes and then he has to travel to China to mm-hmm. learn and mm-hmm. unlock the secrets of the mirror kingdom. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a it. bestseller. I love it. Look for it in the shelf 2021. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll start writing it. Yeah. Today. Yes. We got it. Yes. So yes. Uh, write to us and tell us if we missed anything important about glass or mirrors um, or if you have a cool I don't know, heirloom heirloom or story or something you want to share. Uh, Maybe your great, 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 great grandfather was a Venetian uh, who (laughs) discovered the Mirror Kingdom. If you want to write to us about that. Um, Are you an apprentice glassblower? Are you an apprentice glassblower? What do you know about the um, the Mirror Kingdom? Also, you can absolutely shame us about the cathedral that we What is it called? I I don't know. I I almost had it. You said it again. Michelangelo's what? Uh, it's literally like the most famous painting in the world, and it's on that the ch- chapel of um the the chapel the, of oh my gosh we're Wanda's. gonna ask we're our husbands if they're gonna be ourselves. like wow okay we're gonna end this podcast uh, now. we're <laughs> gonna end uh, but yes but but do but do write to us and uh, you know wh- what else do you want to know about mirrors and glass yeah we'd love to hear from you on Instagram all right guys well this was fascinating glass and mirrors and uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram and uh, yeah let us know Catch what you, you next time. This podcast was produced by Johnny Stubbs in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us online at theoriginsofpodcast.com or to help us support this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theoriginsofpodcast.